0: Oh, How you guys doing? Yeah? Are you alright? Are you awake? Yeah? I know. It's it's a hard one. We lose that hour. Hey, my name is Adam. I'm part of the team here. I'm the community life pastor, which uh, means I get to serve on a team of people who help lead and oversee all of our Mosaic communities. Um, yesterday, in fact, we were in the lower level with some of our community leaders and coaches and talking about how God is leading us this year, and uh, we're... We, I left really encouraged and excited by what God is doing, and, and thinking of the words that Tim just talked about um, with this revisioning process and what God is doing, and uh, getting to catch that wind as community leaders is exciting, and so I want to extend my excitement as an invitation to you. Um, if you're looking for a community, um, if you're looking to lead a community, if you're looking to host a community, you can even sign someone else up to lead a community, that's okay, um, Come, come by the, the welcome table on your way out in the lobby today. Uh, Renee and I will be there, and we'd love to, to help you get connected. Um, yeah, it's exciting to see what God is doing in and through uh, the community's world here at uh, in Mosaic. And we're going we're gonna to open up Scripture. Uh, before we do, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Father, I, I pray you wake us up. Um, open our minds, our hearts, um, our ears to hear your word. Give us a a passion for your word. Um, Help us to remember that this is a place that we see you, we know you, and we find your character and your goodness. And I pray that today, as we look at your words, we would walk out of this place more informed of who you are and more compelled um, to, to believe in you more and to follow you. And so, Father, I thank you, and we love you in your name. Amen. Uh, so we have been in a series called The Story, and uh, we've, we've been in this series since uh, the beginning of the year, and then starting in February, we uh, started a reading plan that's going alongside this, and so as we're reading through Genesis and Psalms, um, the week's previous reading is, is where the, the, the talk is coming from on a Sunday, and it's, it's been pretty exciting. I've, I've been able to talk to people who are reading some of this stuff. Uh, for the first time, or maybe they haven't read it for a while, the beginning of Genesis and the excitement in it. And, and, and the truth is, it's, it's an exciting book. I was telling someone that it's, it's just a few uh, hobbits short of like Lord of the Rings type adventure in this. Um, it's, it's full of all kinds of excitement and fun, and it's, it's also full of, of broken people, we're, we're discovering. Some messiness, right? Um, over these last couple of weeks, we've been walking through uh, the, the history of a family, and it starts with a man named Abraham um, who has an encounter with God and is given a promise by God that, that through Abraham, through his descendants, all of the world will be blessed and that his descendants will be like the sand of the sea, a mighty nation. And so Abraham is is given this promise and he hands this promise off to his son, Isaac. And, and Isaac has two sons, they're twins, Jacob and Esau, and Esau is actually Born first, um, but but God has said that Jacob is going to be the one to carry on this blessing from his grandfather Abraham um, but in, and we found out last week instead of just trusting in God 's process and his timing, Jacob tries to kind of seize control and uh, to cut in front of his brother and to take the birthright to take the blessing he he deceives his dad by wearing um, wool as a bodysuit which I just can't even imagine what that must have looked and smelt like, but that's how he gets the blessing from his dad, and, and this week we're going to pick up on, on Jacob's story, and um, as, I, as I looked at the, the, the teaching schedule and the reading plan and how things were lining out and knowing that, that this week I was teaching and, and going to be teaching on Jacob, I, I was a little bummed because he, he's, he's kind of a squirrely character, right? Like, he, he's, he's deceptive, he's manipulative, um, that's how he constantly is advancing himself, by, by cutting off his brother, by lying to his father. He, he's just a deceptive guy. And, and one of the things that, that we're really discovering over the past few weeks as we look at this, this family of people, starting with Abraham, that God has chosen to bless the world through, it's not a story really about them. They're, it's not as though these are our, our heroes, our role models, the people who we want to be like and see. This is a story about God and his character and his faithfulness and his grace in using broken people like you and I to tell his story. So Jacob's story... Connecting it to last week, he, he has deceived his father. He's stolen his brother's blessing. His brother is livid. And you might remember that, that he's the mountain man, right? He, he's the one that goes hunting, knows how to use weapons. He's livid and, and is planning to kill his brother when their dad dies. And so what does Jacob do? He books it. He, he leaves. He flees for his life. He, he runs um, from everything, turns his back on his family. He goes and he finds himself working for a man named Laban. Now, he's working for this guy because he wants to marry his daughter. He has a daughter named Rachel, and Jacob is is quite smitten by Rachel. And Laban says, well, if you work for me for seven years, um, I'll let you marry her. I'm grateful my father-in-law didn't have that, uh, that conviction. But he works his seven years, and then he gets married and wakes up the, the, the day after he's married only to find that he's been deceived. And he actually didn't marry Rachel. He married Rachel's older sister, Leah. And Laban had deceived him because you gotta marry off the oldest first. And then Laban says you can have Rachel, but that's gonna mean another seven years of work. And and so Jacob is, is married to Leah and Rachel now, and he's he's plotting along and working and accumulating wealth, and then God has an encounter with him and tells him, Listen, I, I've called you to this promise. I've told this to your grandfather, and I'm going to uh, see this become a reality in your life, that, that your lineage is going to be this great nation and through this lineage, it's going to bless the world. Jacob, you need to go back home. To the place where you are deceptive, to the place of broken relationships, to the place where it's likely your brother is going to want to kill you, Jacob, you, you need to go back home. And so Jacob obeys. He, he picks up his life, his uh, two wives and two what the Bible calls female servants, which, which means he's having babies with all four of them. I know, it's a messy story. Um, he picks him up, he gets, he gets all of his possessions, at this time his 11 sons, and he begins to head home with a lot of angst and fear. And so he's, he's scheming like, okay, how, how am I gonna negotiate this, right? He's still drawing from that, I, I can fix this, I can manipulate the circumstance to make it work. And, and his plan is to send some servants ahead to his brother Esau to let him know he's coming. Then to create a parade of all kinds of gifts, livestock that he's going to give his brother and uh, other gifts, and then he's going to line up his family and his servants and even his children so that as Esau's coming, he'll receive these gifts and see this great family, and by the time it finally gets to him, man, he'll just find it in his heart to not kill him, right? This, This is his master plan. So he sends his servants. His servants come back and they say, hey, good news, bad news, your, your brother's coming. Um, he's coming with 400 men. Okay, that's, that's not a good sign. That, that feels like a, an army. And so he is completely um, upended and fearful. And in this, he has an encounter with God. Um, there's a lot of ways that God interacts, engages people, um, he, he spoke to people all through the Bible. We believe he still speaks to us today. That's this, this whole revisioning process. We believe God can speak to us. And in the Bible, he does it in all these creative ways. Most, Moses got a, a burning bush. Um, there's others who had angelic messengers who came and delivered God's word. Um, some were, were given God's word through dreams. All these creative ways. And, and this is certainly one of the creative ways that God engages. So let's read. It's going to be in Genesis 32, uh, starting in verse 22. So this is the night before his brother is going to come. He's swallowed up by angst and fear. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives and two female servants and his 11 sons, and they crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across a the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man, then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. This is a weird story, right? Can we just own that and get that out there? This is a weird, a weird story. I've been sitting on this story. I've read it a whole bunch of times this last week. And at least a couple dozen times in passing while driving, I would just have this conversation with God. God, why do you do that? God, why? Why did you send an angel to come and to physically wrestle with Jacob? And as I've dove into the, the, the commentaries and the background of this, and, and and read what what other scholars and people have written, uh, they all write different things. Like. They all have different opinions and different views of this real mysterious thing that, that God does with Jacob. Some believe that it's, it's prophetic, right? Jacob, his name is changed to Israel. He has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel, a people who certainly uh, contended and wrestled with humans and with God. Some believe that he's valiant in this, that, that he fights for his blessing, and that's why he's rewarded. Uh, some believe that he's immature in this, that, that he was already blessed, and, and he didn't need to keep wrestling and fighting. And, and, and there is a lack of clarity in in God's motivation in Jacob's motivation and why they wrestle. And yet there's something very familiar about the place that Jacob's in. It's the night before he's going to see his brother. He's coming with 400 men for all Jacob knows. This is his last night on earth, not just him, but most likely his family. And he's gripped with fear. And his response is this wrestle to fight. Bless me, help me. That's that's a fairly human response. It's a fairly human common condition to wrestle and to fight. The human condition to struggle, to push, to fight. He wrestles. Wrestling is is, um, a measurement of of will. I don't know if you've had much experience wrestling like Jacob did with this angel, maybe with an older or younger sibling. Um, I, I had the opportunity to be a wrestler while in school. Um, <laughs> yes, there, I grew a beard very young. Um, I, was, I didn't want to wrestle, but our football coach and our... Yes, that's, that's me. Sorry, kid. Our football coach and our wrestling coach were friends. Our wrestling coach had no team, and so the football coach said, hey, you, you guys are now wrestlers. And so I was on the team. Um, didn't know how to wrestle. I was almost as tall as I am now in eighth grade and I weighed 80 pounds wearing a singlet, just not fun with braces, middle school nightmare. And, uh, there, there I was, I was on the wrestling team and my assumption was, well, I, I like to play football, so this will be like that. It was nothing like that. It's it's probably the hardest sport I've ever played because it requires so much strength and will and and your will is fighting someone else's will and and whoever wins is who can survive the longest and keep going and keep fighting and it's visceral and it's a test and it's so difficult. That's that human condition of struggle. So we could probably all identify a place right now that we're, we're wrestling. Maybe not on a stinky wrestling mat maybe not in the desert like jacob maybe not in the octagon but there's an arena a place that that you're wrestling maybe it's with relationship maybe it's with finances maybe it's with your faith wrestling to believe this story that god has given us there's there's a place that we can identify struggle where we are wrestling so where does god lead us in that Where does he lead us in this this human condition of wrestle, of striving? I'm gonna look at the words of Paul. He gives us some insight to this in in Romans 7. And uh, I love this passage, but I I hate reading it because it makes me feel like I can't read. Please bear with me. Paul has a way of writing that's a little bit crazy. Are you ready? All right, you've been warned. Uh, Seven, starting in 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Do you see the turmoil already? Do you see the struggle? And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin that is living in me. So he's recognizing within himself there are two influences, two parts. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do I do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but is the sin that is living in me. Okay, we're, we're following his logic here, right? He needed to visit the editor on this one. But, but essentially what he is saying is that there is a will within me that wants to follow, that wants to see this law that God has given and to obey it, obey it and to follow it. And yet there's this other side of me, this other will that, that it, it keeps winning. It keeps winning out. And I find myself doing the very things I hate He goes on to say in 21, so if I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging a war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. I find myself doing the very thing I hate, that the evil's always right there. Do you feel his tension? Do you feel his struggle? This this is common to us. This is common to us as humanity to know that that, that God has created us to be a certain way. Even before I knew Jesus in my life, my my conscience and the creation, I, I, I knew there's this struggle. Paul is talking about this struggle of what do we do? How do we win this? And as we consider our struggle as we consider how we wrestle we we have to first understand and discern who we're wrestling so for, for jacob at at some point this random guy who attacks him in the night and they're wrestling at some point it dawned on him he realized this isn't just an ordinary person this this man can bless this man must come from heaven he, he recognizes his opponent we, we have to recognize who, who are we wrestling who is paul talking about who is he wrestling here in this passage, he's, he's talking about himself. He's wrestling with his own will, his own sinful nature. Man, I, I know that person in me. As I read those words of Paul, I, those could be my words. I, I, I recognize that propensity for, for my flesh, my desire to, to choose what is wrong and to want what is wrong, even though there's another part of me that, that hates it. So how do we respond in these struggles? How do we respond in wrestling? I think that there's a few responses. There's three of them. We proclaim Jesus, we surrender, and we contend. Proclaim Jesus, surrender, contend. What does that that mean to proclaim Jesus? How is that helping Paul as he's doing these things he he doesn't want to do? Let's look back at his letter to the Romans and and flip over to the next chapter. And this is in chapter 8, starting in verse 31. He says this to surmise. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, for you and I. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger or the sword? As it is written, for, this, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to, uh, to the slaughter. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. in all these things, Paul says, this, this man who just said, evil is always near, and I find myself choosing this even though I won't, I don't want to, and, and yet in this statement he says, we are more than conquerors, not because of his ability to master his own sinful desires and, and his own wicked desires, but, but because of Jesus. He's proclaiming Jesus. he's in this wrestling match and saying this is someone that that i cannot overtake this is this is someone who who is stronger who is mightier i i I cannot defeat this opponent jesus i'm wrestling i'm back in my leotard with my braces my first match is with a guy um, who's in a different weight bracket i was 80 ish pounds wrestling in a weight bracket that was 140 pounds because there was no one to wrestle in that weight bracket. And this guy was 139.99 pounds. And he looked like a, a tree trunk. Just head, straight down, feet. Like no, no neck, no anything. And, and it was my first bout, and they, the referee comes, and they put their hand, go, wrestle. And I went flying at him like crazy. Elbows and knees and skinny arms and just going. And I hit him, and he didn't budge. There was no movement, no give, nothing. It, it, I just, nothing. He completely, completely wiped the four of me. In fact, I never won an entire, bout the entire time I wrestled. <laughs> he was this immovable force. Like I, There's not a scenario where I am going to beat him at this game. There's not a scenario where I'm going to lead myself to righteousness. Where I'm gonna lead myself from these things that Paul says I keep finding myself doing even though I hate them. Paul directs us. He says, listen, we proclaim Christ. He wrestles for us. He fights for us. Each and every Sunday that we come here, we sing songs about his might, his power, his grace. We come to these tables and, and we take communion. And First Corinthians, it says that when we come to this table and we take communion, we're proclaiming his death. We're proclaiming him as our champion who fights for us. In our wrestling, we proclaim Jesus. And we surrender. In our wrestling, we might find, much like Jacob did at some point, that, that we're wrestling w- with God. We might find that, that we're wrestling up against something that, that we should let go, that we should stop, and that we should surrender. The author of Hebrews in um, Hebrews 12 gives us this great analogy of, of how God leads his, his children. And it gives the analogy of, of a, a father and a child. And, and I love the dynamic of it. And it makes sense to me because I've been both a child and, and now I'm a, I'm a father. And, and in this analogy, it, it makes sense because one of these two is responsible for the other one, right? The, the father is responsible for the child, to keep them alive, to keep them well-fed, to, to raise them. Um, they're, they're, they have more perspective than the child. They know more about life than the child. And, and so this is, this is what the author of Hebrews says about how God leads us sometimes. This is in 12.7. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate true sons and daughters at all. We might find that some of the places that we are wrestling in life, we are coming up against the boundaries that God has set. That sometimes God's answer is is no, or not yet, or not now, or be patient. I I have to be very candid. I have felt the carnage of this wrestle a lot in my life. Too many times the prayer of direction has come on the wrong side of the decision that I've already made. God, can, can you bless all those decisions I've already made? Can you bless the choices that I've already made? God, before I think about this, before I ask you about it, I'm gonna charge at this. And too many times have come up against the boundaries where God, my father who loves me and knows more and sees more says, no, no, not yet, not now. And in that wrestling, it's not something that I can win. It's like uh, Jacob with this angel. I, I, I just imagine and, and, and see this angel kind of like chuckling to himself. And, and he, you know, oh, good job, Jacob. You're doing so well, like his little brother. And then in an instant, he's like, oh, here goes your hip. Like obviously he had the power to overcome Jacob, but, but he allowed him to wrestle him. And, and I have felt that, that, that at times I, I have wrestled with God. And it's an unwinnable wrestle because he loves me. Because he sees, and the invitation for me is to, to surrender. That was the simple invitation that Jacob missed over and over and over. He wrestled where God wanted to bring provision. God was going to bless him. God was going to use him to, to see Abraham's promise become a reality. And, and he just needed to let God be God and he be himself and surrender. And yet he kept stepping in and, and making a wreck of things. This is a wrestle in my life. This is a struggle in my life that I have felt over and over. This invitation to trust, to surrender to my father. In our wrestling, we we proclaim Jesus, we surrender, and we contend. So there's some wrestling that Jesus is saying, hey, I've got this one. I'm going to fight this battle for you. I'm going to let my righteousness and my power do the talking. There's some battles that that God is saying, this is for your own good. Just trust me. Be patient. And then there's some battles that God is saying, let's go. Contend with me. Fight for my kingdom. Be a part of what I'm doing in this city, in this world. Contend with me. Paul writes in Ephesians 6. Six ten. He, he describes a, a way that we're engaging, that, that, that we're wrestling not with f- flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities and, and, and spiritual rulers of this world. Paul is saying that we, we wrestle and we contend, not, not just with people, not flesh and blood, but, but with the spiritual realities of the world around us because God's kingdom is going forward and it's carried along by you and I and by our prayers and by faithful people who contend for his gospel. And it is conflict and it is wrestling. But he is there, present with us, leading us. So, Jesus says in the Great Commission go forth, make disciples, baptize in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always. He was sending them to contend for his kingdom and to be present with them. So, as we consider in our lives, where are we wrestling? Where are we fighting a battle that, that Jesus has already won? Where are, we, where are we struggling? Because God has said no, or not yet, or not them. And, and we need to surrender to his leading. And where are we contending? This next season for our church, man, it's gonna be awesome. I, I can't wait for the story that God wants to tell. He, he tells really good stories. But he's inviting us to contend for his kingdom and for this story here. Through praying, through fasting, through allowing our lives to be interrupted because we are gonna contend for his kingdom above our own. This morning, we're gonna continue our worship. The team's gonna come up and and lead us in a few more songs. And as I mentioned before, we're gonna come to these tables and proclaim who Jesus is and celebrate the fact that he fights this battle for us and and as we come I want to invite you um, the work of inventorying your own soul where where do you see struggle how do you need to respond today do you need to respond by just proclaiming Jesus and and, and leaving shame and leaving guilt and leaving burdens right here and walking back do you need to respond in, in surrendering that you've tired from wrestling with God and and Willing to accept his control and his lead as a father in our lives, and then how is he inviting you to contend in this season for what he wants in this city in and through mosaic father i thank you I thank you for your word. Um, god as we as we look at this story of of jacob wrestling and and how you redeemed him and his dad and his grandfather and so many generations beyond, all the way up till now, um, I recognize from this story that you are good, that you can be trusted. And I pray that, that we would respond when the places that we are experiencing conflict and, and battle in our lives, where we can trust you more, where we can believe more fully in the, the saving, healing power of Jesus. God, and I pray too that you would disrupt us to contend for your kingdom interrupt our lives, break through the mundane, lead us into time of prayer, fasting, call us to contend for your kingdom. And Father, we thank you in your name.